This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. I honestly felt like I scammed my way in. Even when I moved to LA for honestly like eight years, I was ashamed that I liked the music that I liked. I wanted to like smart people music. I was like, Susie, your power chords aren't complex. Like the Weezer riffs you're learning, nobody else likes that. And I was just like so ashamed. I didn't even tell people I played guitar when I moved to LA because I didn't feel real. And then I just let go. Yeah, give me, give me the guitar. And then I just started <laughs> writing stuff and started making music. And I was like, whoa, I can play the guitar. I've owned it more. Like I'm like really proud of it and really happy on, on the music that I grew up on. My name is Susie Shin and I am a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you for all of us. On today's show, we're talking to Susie Shin, a Grammy-nominated record producer, songwriter, and engineer in LA. She's worked with Weezer, Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy, Dua Lipe, and Katy Perry. She's one of the youngest music producers and just produced Weezer's Van Weezer. And stick around at the end of the podcast for a very special preview from friend of the pod, Jay Viraldi's Animalia, a really smart show dedicated to covering conservation and climate topics. Okay, first, Susie Shin is pretty awesome. I actually listened to Van Weezer, which I never really would have listened to Weezer if we hadn't spoken to her. And second, I love Jay. People should totally check out at the end of the show. But before we get into it, Roman, I got to ask you something that I've been dying to know. Um, Sharon, it stands for World Wide Web. Hush. No, I've got a really important question. Okay. Uh, what's that? Did you watch Shang-Chi? Sharon, come on. You know me. My two great loves in this world are rock and roll and comic books. Well, what about your wife and kids? Okay. My five great loves are my <laughs> wife, my two kids, rock and roll, and comic books. I'm glad that your wife and your kids got bumped to the top of that list. <laughs> Just barely. It depends on the day of the week. <laughs> but, okay, wait, wait. What was the question again? So Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Wasn't that like three weeks ago, dude? Yeah, but I wasn't sure if you actually you were going to go into the theaters. I mean, you have a new baby and I know you've been super careful. Yeah, well, okay. So technically my wife had the baby uh, and I just changed the diapers. Uh, and yes, I was a little freaked out and didn't want to go to the theaters. I was really torn on this one. But last week, now that the kids are back in school and at daycare, I was able to finally sneak out of the house to go to a mostly empty theater for a morning show to see Disney's latest attempt to take all of my money. In fact, just a few days ago, our pal Ryan Joe and I talked about Shang-Chi on Quarantine Comics. No one's listening to your underground comic book podcast, Roman. 
Auntie Pinky listens to quarantine comics every week, Sharon, <laughs> and she sends us the sweetest emails. Okay. She does. Does she listen to our podcast? Auntie Pinky, are you listening? Auntie Pinky's not related to either of us. It's Ryan's Auntie Pinky. Oh. <laughs> Get your Funny. own Auntie Pinky, Sharon. I need an Auntie Pinky. Okay, so what do you think of the film? No, wait, I don't care. I want to tell you what I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll bite. I mean, from a pop culture perspective, it was pretty much Asian Black Panther. So I figured you would go see it before me. Yeah. And I knew nothing about Shang-Chi actually before walking into the theater. So I have like zero knowledge of comic books. Have you, had do, you not seen any Marvel movies? No, I, I do know about Marvel movies, as I would say. So like... You have a husband. I have a husband and <laughs> kids that are obsessed with the Avengers and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I've definitely seen recent movies. Worth noting, it was based in the, on the 70s comic, which is kind of problematic in its like context. And kind of like Luke Cage and black exploitation back in the 70s. But this movie is like a completely new territory, just kind of with the name and a couple of elements. It, and it didn't feel like a Marvel movie. Like mm -mm. it kind of inhabits the Marvel universe, but you could be watching it and not be in a Marvel movie. It, yeah. it kind of stands on its own. I loved it. I mean, I just loved how modern it felt. I I don't know if that makes any sense, but just the jokes, the relevance of everything. And then at the same time, the way that the story really wove in a lot of cultural elements. I mean, my husband actually said that he noticed things in the film that he never would have known if he didn't marry someone of Chinese descent. Like just I speak the, ABC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or even there was a scene when Shang-Chi is walking into his friend's house and he takes his shoes off. Right. So just very specific cultural behaviors that are just completely woven into the movie. And it was really well done. Well, it's the kind of things that you and I take for granted. Of course, you take your shoes off. That would be a savage thing to not do it. But <laughs> we take it for granted. People might not know it. And it's kind of like this podcast. It's it's a Hollywood blockbuster, unlike our podcast. But, but it's aimed at people who aren't of that minority group, I think. I, I mean, does it kind of have those winks and nods and those things that the Asians, Chinese Americans can celebrate? Absolutely. But it's designed in a way to be authentically told to everyone else. And honestly, like, you know, we talked with the past guest, Brian Yang, about, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to learn martial arts. It, Yes, mm -hmm. it was Marvel's Kung Fu movie, but it's not just a Kung Fu movie. It had a lot of fantasy elements steeped in Asian culture. Like the last third of the movie, there's not a lot of martial arts. It's an action set piece with dragons spoiler alert and i i mean one of my criticisms of the movie that ryan and i talked about in quarantine comics was you know i, I kind of wish there were more human stakes at the end versus like the big cgi battle um mm -hmm. and you had that moment because let's be clear Simulu is awesome props to kim's convenience and what he did in this movie but the movie's called shang chi and the legend of the ten rings and the legend of the ten rings is about his dad played by tony lung and oh my god that guy like stole the show like i that guy just rocked the movie completely for me. Yeah. Tony Leung is like the next Jackie Chan. He's That's a terrible statement. Come I on. Know. Is he st <laughs> <laughs> He's an actual actor. I know. And 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 I know him from Chinese movies. But the reason why I said it that way is because I think the way that Jackie Chan Bruce Lee, all of those. So, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm definitely towing some dangerous territory here. But every generation has had their Kung Fu guy, right? And I think there's something about the way Marvel remade this film that gives a nod to that. 
while making it feel like so much more than just Kung Fu. So if the whole point was to hook in a mainstream audience, get them engaged, whether that's through cinematic CGI stuff or really great humor or superheroes, they did a great job of that. And as a marketer, I get that you've got to give a flavor that people are willing to taste, right? You've got to bring them in with something that feels familiar. And I think what felt kind of familiar and stereotypical was this Asian guy that knew martial arts out of the blue, by the way, like, you know, unexpectedly. And then- I mean, his dad did like torture him for 10 years to teach him martial arts, but yes. (laughs) Well, see, I don't see, as someone who doesn't know the comic books, I'm like, is that- That was in the movie! No, I know. (laughs) No, so it was in the movie, but like, is that his storyline? Like, is that the characters? But like, like I said earlier, um- you didn't need to know anything about the comic books to enjoy this movie, I guess. Right. So, right. I mean, look, what, what what I really did like about this movie is it was a character drama that had action set pieces. Like one of my favorite shows of all time is Lost, because in that show, you have like the current mystery of what's going on in the plot. But you also have every episode, like 50% of the narrative is flashbacks on the story that happened before. And you learn something new with every flashback. Yeah. And they kind of kept peeling the onion back about what was going on with Shang and his dad? What was going on with Shang and his mom? What mm-hmm. went on with his mom and his dad? And like these, the movie opens in a flashback, right? And it's just, right. the flashbacks allow you to really understand who the characters are. And then you can understand kind of how they're relating to the current situation in the moment. And and it, it, this is again where Tony Long wins. Because like, you know, the, there are multiple actors playing Shang-Chi at different ages, kind of like in This Is Us. But Tony Lung was kind of in all of those eras because he's this like immortal thousand year old dude. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I guess what I'd say is there were things that left me wanting more. I knew I was supposed to like it and therefore I did like it. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's a strong showing. And I think I think the impact on the culture, honestly, the impact on the box office says a lot of things that people want to hear those stories. People are willing to pay to hear these stories. And I think it's going to kick the door further open for us to see stuff like this. I think there's definitely a sequel and a whole series in the works. Like the way that that movie leaves you hanging and and yearning for more is really exciting because I personally want to know more about his sister, whether that's a a mini series, a Disney plus release, or maybe another feature film all about her. There could be some pretty cool stuff that comes of this. Yeah, man, the cast is just solid. I mean, yeah, you know, the, his sister is played by like Munger Zhang. Michelle Yeoh is just always awesome. I love that she's an auntie because, like, in Asian yeah. cultures, like, yeah. it's the auntie. And then even like his mom, played by Ying Nan, it's heartbreaking. And I mean, dude, even Ronnie Chang and like Ben Kingsley, who's half Indian, you know, <laughs> like they were rocking the movie too. And just a really great cast, really well directed, and just beautiful to watch too. So now we want to hear from you guys. What did you guys think of the film? Send us an email at mom at modmypod.com and let us know what's on your mind. Okay. So I think our listeners have gotten enough of our geeking out about Shang-Chi. <laughs> and, and if they want to hear more, more critical take, check out the latest episode of Quarantine Comics. But definitely email us and let us know what you thought. But let's get back to our guest this week, Susie Shin who is a record producer, a songwriter, and an engineer based in LA. She's worked with Weezer, Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy, Dua Lipe, Katy Perry. She's one of the youngest music producers. She actually produced Weezer's recent Van Weezer album. And I I want my daughter to be her when when she grows up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a daughter, but if I did, I'd want her to be like Susie too. Susie really is the embodiment of rock star in the best of ways. And I'm glad she let you ask her 
your nerdy questions, Raman. <laughs> <laughs> For once, it wasn't about comic books. It was about rock and roll, my other great love. And yeah, the way we, I read an article about Susie in Spin. And uh, the cool thing about the show is we can reach out to people now because like we have a thing. And I just wanted to hear how she came up. She is younger. <laughs> Her age is less than the existence of the band Weezer. <laughs> so to, to hear her journey as a little girl being into rock and roll and just working like crazy and making it into the industry. It's just really, really inspiring. And it was just great to have her on because I saw the inside scoop of some of the work that she's put out there. And even though I'm not a big rock fan at all, just hearing her own journey and her own stories of how she got to where she is today, I found to be very inspiring. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy our chat with our new friend, Susie Shin. Susie, welcome to the pod. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Susie, so I promise I will save as much fanboying as I can till the very end. (laughs) But I guess the first thing we want to know is, I don't know, where are you from? I am from Wichita, Kansas, born and raised. And Susie, where are you really from? (laughs) (laughs) Great question. (laughs) Really, my dad is from Seoul, South Korea, and then still lives between there and Indonesia. And my mom is... Irish and German and French and a mixed pot of everything and ended up in Iowa and then moved to Kansas as a little girl. Now, growing, I grew up in Alabama and you grew up in Wichita. It sounds like you have family in Iowa. Did you never get that second follow-up question? Not really. No. Isn't that weird? Is it because you're younger than us? (laughs) (laughs) Did the world get better? (laughs) Yeah. Are you, is it the new generation just doesn't wonder about these things? They're like, oh, Wichita, Kansas. Yes. Great. That's amazing. I think it's also like for a very long amount of my time, I've been like platinum blonde and I think I probably look white. So like, oh, Midwest girl. Yes. Okay, cool. Wichita. That's awesome. So what was the most interesting thing you remember from being a kid with bleach blonde hair in Wichita? (laughs) I was always the outcast. I was always bullied and made fun of and always the weird one for liking the music that I did and for being as passionate about music. Literally, I would get made fun of for absolutely everything. And I remember the first time I was made fun of, it was because my hair was too long and it was in preschool and someone drew a picture of me in jail because my hair was too long. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Like I have that vivid memory. In preschool too. So you were three or four. That's (laughs) crazy. But but yeah, like Kansas, which it's a small town, but it's there's 400,000 people. It's obviously predominantly white and... I went to this private school from preschool till eighth grade. That was 50 kids per grade. And I was the only Asian. I was the only Asian. Yeah. Because mom was white. Dad was Korean. Did you identify as Asian or did you just feel like, nope, I'm just a kid from Wichita, but my dad makes weird food on the weekends? Well, this is where it gets complicated. My mom and dad were never married. My dad like pieced out on my mom pretty early on. It was a very weird relationship where he wanted to focus on work. And the moment I was born, he said, what's up and then left. So I had my mom raise me. Hmm. And then my mom married my stepdad when I was maybe 11, 11, 10 years old. I don't know. So I always identified as white. I didn't even have a concept that I was like really like actually Korean or Asian until maybe like early on in high school. 
What happened then? Why in high school did it? College, college. And then like all of a sudden they were like, you're Asian. Look at these scholarships available to you. Look at this. (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) There was a box that you could check and you're like, oh yeah, if I check the box. Literally all my teachers would be like, you should probably check this box. And I'd be like, okay. But yeah, my dad would come. This is a very weird story. My dad would come visit I think a lot when I was little and then it kind of got less and less and less. And my mom was like trying to raise me and he just supported less and less and less. Yeah. And then I found out later, guys, this is insane. He fled the country and continent because he owed the city of Las Vegas like hundreds of thousands of dollars from gambling from Baccarat. Yeah. And then I didn't even see him until... As an adult, like he came from my half brother's wedding and he was arrested upon arrival. Oh my goodness. On the plane at LAX and spent like two weeks in jail until my Korean side of the family pulled it together and got him out. My life is like, there's like little nuances. Like I'm surrounded by chaos constantly. Well, so Asian scholarships aside, <laughs> and. <laughs> yeah, right. People, like your teachers clearly knew you were Asian. Your friends, I guess, accepted you as white. When did did people ever say, hey, what's with that? Like, what are you? Or how come you look different? Was there ever any of those moments where you had to try to figure it out? Or your mom was like, yeah, I don't want to get Korean food. Let's kind of stay away from this for a while. Like, Or is it still just kind of a thing? Because, you know, it's funny. It wasn't until I'm Indian American. I married a Chinese American girl who was more... Like we're very American. We're not very Chinese. We're not very Indian. And we've become more Asian aware as a result of being together. But my entire life was kind of like a rejection of the culture, if you will. Like I went to Temple. I did the stuff my parents told me to, but I've kind of walked it back and walked away from it over my years. So was that like kind of your relationship with the Korean side of your your family and your heritage? Or And also just to build on that, because I'm still in shock about the story. (laughs) of getting put into jail when coming to the wedding. Like, <laughs> did any of that play into identity? Like what you knew of your dad or maybe what you didn't know of your dad and what you were discovering and how that plays into... She's asking the Barack Obama question, basically, because it's yeah, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, It's, it's <laughs> yeah. just fascinating to me from a psychological perspective, too. It's psychologically, like it definitely... I, I, I still uncovering and deep in therapy, like a lot of this stuff, but like I love Korean food and my mom like wanted me to have a relationship with my dad so bad. Like she was trying to get me to learn Korean. I remember in my closet still to this day, I have, I think it's your hundred day or one year outfit that you wear as a baby and you dance around like for like money or like, and it was so colorful. And I remember as a kid and growing up, I I hated it and I hated wearing colors and I hated wearing dresses, but I I loved Korean food. And for a long time, I would always try to learn Korean and call my dad and my grandma would answer and my grandma would be like, what are you like? I I couldn't, she just spoke no English. So it would be like, she'd hang up on me every time. I'm like, <laughs> Annyeonghaseyo. And she like, ha, huh? and hang up. This is when it was expensive to make these calls. <laughs> and it was expensive to call California because that's where my grandma was. But yeah, I, I still, to this day, I love Korean food. My mom would try to get as much Korean culture in the way that she knew how right. into my life. But I so desperately as a kid wanted my dad's affection, my dad's attention, but everyone would be like, I'm sorry, you don't have a dad. And I'd be like, I don't really know what that's like in a way. 
Mm-hmm. So I, you don't have to say sorry. But now like... What do you mean by that? You don't have to say sorry. I feel like it's different because I don't have any really profound memories of my dad in my uh-huh. life. So when someone are like, I'm so sorry you didn't have a dad. I'm like, uh, well, I didn't lose one really because I didn't yeah, really right. have one. I, I had one. my stepdad who was white um, from Wichita, Kansas, born and raised, met my mom in preschool. But I don't know. It's weird. And so for a long time, I did really try to get into Korean culture. I was trying to be like, how can I earn your approval? And then I just realized in my early 20s, like as an adult, like I wasn't going to get it really. Isn't that, it's weird. Well, it's that moment of, uh, with anything in life, that moment of letting go is when the freedom really takes hold and like what you want to do. It does feel freeing for sure. And it's like, this is like another, I'm getting into another crazy story. So like I went to Berkeley School of Music. I wanted to go since I was like 13. I got in. I asked my dad to to help me and he just straight up said no. So my mom like took like, this is insane. My mom borrowed against her life insurance policy to get me through college. My God. And then I couldn't afford it, right? Like I had a job all throughout college. I was working two jobs in high school. And then so like I dropped out after two years and moved to LA. And my dad then tried to start being in my life and like would tell everyone I was a junior in college for seven more years. Yeah. And it's just like that whole like world of like education. And my mom tried to take my dad's side being like, you have to finish college. You have to finish college. You have to finish college. And I was just like, no. And I just like let it go. But yeah, I don't know why I got into that story, but there's a lot in well, there. The, that, that bridge is something. So you weren't the Asian weirdo growing up. You were the music weirdo. <laughs> like I picture young Susie in high school getting picked on for wearing a Soundgarden shirt. Almost, like. Oh my God. It was even worse. It was like good Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> like Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. Nirvana shirts are cool now. which really upsets me. Like, yeah. I, the good Charlotte the sticker on the binders. Like hey man, I, I was writing like Pearl Jam lyrics on my books. But how did so because for me and again, this is. I mean, again, grunge was happening in the 90s when I was in high school and you're a little younger, but it's uh, it wasn't popular to like that music. People were listening to Boys to Men and Mariah Carey. And I was like, no, fuck TRL. But like I kind of stood by Weezer. I stood by Green Day. And then I got into the weirder shit like, hey, Mercedes and Payne and Less Than Jake and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And through it. And then eventually in my 20s, I decided to let go and just listen to what I want to listen to and I'm a happier person but how did you navigate that because Berkeley School of Music weird indie rock stuff like how did you kind of thread that needle and then yeah totally I so once I discovered music like first I discovered John Mayer and then I discovered Blink-182 <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so funny and, and then really I quick, just... the Mark Tom and Travis show is the best comedy album ever that was Sorry. my first that was like a clear me- like like that was a first album I ever bought of my own money my dad was actually in town and they took me to the record store and I bought that and I ran to the car and put it in and like by track four it's like they're scared <laughs> so re- really quick Sharon the Mark okay so Blink-182 you've, you've heard of they released mm-hmm. one one of the first like live good live punk albums called the mark tom and travis show because these guys would like dick around on stage and just like say really dirty silly funny stuff right and okay so by track four yeah you're talking about like it was the one where it says like the every curse word in the modern english language <laughs> oh in a row <laughs> and my parents just like looked at each other and they were like i don't think you can listen to this <laughs> i'm like nine years old <laughs> 
I remember being like, what does that blow? Why are they using the word blow right? like that? Uh, how does it work? But yeah, so I grew up on that Beach Boys and then Warp Tour. And as a teenager and a kid in Kansas where there wasn't a huge music scene, I lived for like Warp Tour and those bands. Because it was like coming through town. Yeah. It would come through my town and I like played guitar and I was learning all these instruments and like Blink-182 was like the holy grail of like, every, like I, I have like a Tom DeLonge like strat like still to this day and I use it. But that was cool. But then I knew to get into Berkeley, I had to be a jazz musician. They were not going to let a pop punk yeah, and uh, yeah. rock kid. Power chords not allowed, right? Yes. And it's so fun. I would go to something every summer called Power Chord Academy. It was my summer camp. You just made that up. Did you just <laughs> make that up? I swear to God, it's a real thing. And it was so fun. But so yeah, I got into Berkeley and to get it. And I took jazz guitar lessons very intensely for like a couple years before. And like, I honestly felt like I scammed my way in because I, I oh. went in <laughs> with this medley that I created with my teacher of someone to watch over me and angel eyes into one. And it was like a guitar voicing. It was it was insane. I could not play it right now. If you asked me to could not probably play it like after the day of my audition. But then and I played a very emo song I wrote on the acoustic guitar after, and I got in. But then all throughout college and even when I moved to L.A. for like honestly, like eight years, I was so ashamed. I was ashamed that I played power chords. I was ashamed that I liked the music that I liked. Like I wanted to like smart people music and intellectual Wait, what, what, music. What is, what is, I don't know. Like, like, like classical, classical, like insane jazz? jazz, jazz fusion, tower of power, um, Herbie Hancock, yeah, Louis okay. Malmsteen, mm-hmm. like all of that. And I like, I was like, cause Susie, your power chords aren't complex. You're slow. Like the Weezer riffs you're learning, like nobody else likes that. They want to go see, I don't know, Stevie Ray Vaughan or or or, or something or or Dragon Force. That's that's and I was just like so ashamed. Like I didn't even tell people I played guitar when I moved to LA for like years. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't know, I just I didn't feel real. And then like I don't know what happened two years ago. I don't know if it started coming back or if I just said like if I just let go. But then I was like yeah give me give me the guitar like I can I can play it and then I just started writing stuff and started making music and I was like whoa I can play the guitar I think but I've I've like owned it more I'm like really proud of it and really happy on the music that I grew up on yeah that's fantastic that must be so empowering in that way yeah like it's an interesting world how do you get from finally letting go and letting people know you play the guitar and, you know, taking out your Tom guitar strap. Mine is a Rivers. <laughs> I have a Rivers lightning strap. So to be clear. Stop, I love it. But I guess, how does that, like, how do you, you're in LA. People now know Susie can play the guitar and knows some power, sick power chords. How does that turn into working with like Dua Lipe and Panic at the Disco? <laughs> like, I, because to be clear, like when I discovered Susie in a spin article a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, she's rad. Oh, that's cool. Oh, she produced this new Weezer album, Van Weezer. And then in one of these articles, it was like, and Weezer, the band is older than she is alive. (laughs) And I'm like, shake my fist at the ceiling. I'm like, unfair young people. That's so funny. (laughs) How did that happen? Like, 
there has to be a story. I guess. Yeah, there there is in a way like so when I dropped out of college, I didn't know I was dropping out. I got an internship at this like piece of crap studio deep in the valley. And I interned there for the summer. And they were like, so you can go drop out of college and like start your career now. I think I was 18 or 19. Or you can go spend $150,000 that you're never going to pay back and then come back here and and just like lose two years. And I was like, oh my God, that's terrifying. So I stayed there. I interned for like a year of just cleaning. And then the first thing I ever engineered was a a blues traveler album. (laughs) And (laughs) okay, what things to be ashamed of? I don't know. so funny and then like and I remember the first session I ever engineered was boys like girls which I don't know if you guys are familiar but that's like a pop punk emo band that I like had songs on my lime wire like on my first computer ever but then just like people would come in and out of that studio and I would just like do what I was told in a way like I was never like I write songs I was never like I sing I play guitar but I just tried to have a good energy and if I said I was going to do something I would do it and just like Mm -hmm. be five steps ahead of everyone else in the room yeah which I failed miserably for a long time (laughs) I ruined sessions for sure Um, I was going to make a joke about it's the Asian in you probably, but then you were like, well. <laughs> yeah, I just like, I had no idea what I was doing because I I thought I had all this prep and like education in college, but it was like, no, <laughs> come sit behind the desk and see how much you now right. when there's a writer from Sony or BMG or whatever, like cutting a vocal and like, do you have it? And I'm just, you know, whatever, bad, bad memories that I like, I will never fuck this up again. I got a pro. What's the worst? Like, give me, tell me what one of the yeah, worst. Tell us, was. tell us like one of the most mortifying <laughs> the, moments. The worst was like, I was so tired because I was there 10 hours a day. And like this girl who was just such a type A personality, she was an artist and a writer came in, I was tracking her vocals and I distorted them so badly. Like you couldn't even tell what she was saying. Cause it was just like, <laughs> and but I disguised it so it sounded okay like when we were turning it up to a hundred in the room. But then the files were completely unusable and like my boss like kept trying to fix them or trying to disguise them. And then she like came back three times and I know she yelled at him and I was just like, oh my God, I don't know how to use a compressor. <laughs> like I have to learn. But that was like probably like the worst or like I would stay up all night trying to melodyne something and I, it would sound like T-Pain and not like a record. <laughs> Because I didn't know. You just fail so many times until you learn. But yeah. And then like eventually I met who is now my manager, who was at the time a producer and a writer. He like came through the studio and he was producing a band and I helped him. And he was like, you're cool. What are you doing in this weird factory place? And he like got me a publishing deal and I got out of there. And eventually through him at Jake Sinclair, who is just this amazing, human, talented, superhuman, multi-instrumentalist, producer, writer, who used to be an engineer for Butch Walker. And he was like, I need help. Do you want to help me? And he was like, actually had physically like broken his arm in a motorcycle accident and was like, I literally, I can't run the session today. Could you come help me? And I started working for him for like five years. 
engineering, wow. singing on stuff, helping helping him. And like, I was like his ride or die. Mm -hmm. And I still feel like that to this day. But whatever he needed, like I was there, like even if we weren't working on anything, we were still in the studio, like hanging out. It was like our job. But he would work with Weezer. He produced the White Album and, and OK Human. So I was just always there. And I don't know somehow like over the years because i also worked on pacific daydream i vocal yeah. produced the teal album because at that point rivers was like i just want to go in with Susie and like cut vocals no one else really needs to be there when we're doing vocals like it's not like all hands on deck for the whole band to record and then after the teal album there were talks around going with Van Weezer and the idea. And we shared like the same management company and like JD who runs Crush came downstairs to the basement where I was working one day and he was like, Hey, do you want to produce a Weezer album? And I was like, what? So that's like 10 years span into like five minutes or whatever, but that's how it happened. Well, I mean, along the way, and I'm really like restraining myself from going all in on asking questions about- That's the number one reason why you're here, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I read an article and I was enamored with your career, let's be clear, because it's along the way, it sounds like, I don't know how to describe it, Sharon, in our careers, like you grew up on the agency world, I grew up in marketing and advertising back in the day, and even at like some of the startups I would work at, like when you got to work with this massive company- it's first you're kind of adjacent to it. And so I guess, did it occur to you, were you just kind of like doing the work along the way when you're working with Panic or Fall Out Boy or Dua Lipa or Katy Perry? Like, as that was happening, were you pinching yourself or you're like, nope, this is a job. I just got to slog through this. I got to get this done. I got to learn how to get better, better, better. Like, what was that like as a 20 something getting to interact with these just amazing names? For sure. It was definitely the latter. Like I have, there's something weird in my brain. And I think it's because I grew up in a lot of weird, chaotic, certain situations where like mm -hmm. once I'm focused or if there's something like if Katy Perry is coming in, like I just like get into the zone and I do what I'm there to do. And mm -hmm. I don't freak out. I just try to be me. Yeah. Um, and I get definitely like tunnel vision. If I'm like, okay, I have to finish this song and it's due in two days and I have all this stuff to do. Like I just disappear into this weird whole of nothing else matters until I, I do that but yeah I don't know I have no idea why and but names or fame there's probably like maybe two people in this world and I have to like super think on who it would be that I would like actually like freak out over or like like <laughs> shake but the rest I'm just like I see them work in the studio I see them right I see them live their lives they're they're good friends of mine and it's just like everyone is human yeah and there's yeah. something about like putting people on pedestals being like, oh, my God, that's blah, blah, blah. Like they're it's just like they're hu they're human, just like you, just like me. We are all just incredible as one another. Like, I don't know. It's it's weird. Do you I, feel I, like you've you found a sense of belonging now in a way. Yeah. But I think like I'll always like more search for that. I feel like that's like an ever lasting like journey in a way because like at the end of the day like I, I always feel like the kid who was getting made fun of for the mm -hmm. nirvana patches or poison mm -hmm. patches right mm -hmm. but I still feel like more my I'm letting go I'm caring less I'm just being like okay I'm me I think I'm a good person I'm like here to have fun and the people around me seem to be on that same wavelength now so yeah I do feel like I belong more when you were a little kid, you know, not telling people your weird music tastes, I guess, did you, <laughs> did you wanted to go into music? Did Or was it like, 
ah, this is just a phase. Every kid wants to be a basketball player or a rock star. <sighs> I guess I'll go sign up for the National Park Service. <laughs> like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I don't know why I remember this. I remember being in a baby, like a car seat riding songs or like dancing. And um, mm. like the only thing I've ever, ever wanted to do was music. And when I was in preschool, I said I wanted to be whatever Britney Spears or a singer or or Jewel or something. Like as I grew up, I thought I had to be like the pop star. Mm. And then I don't know what happened then I was like I I can write song you can write songs too like you and then producing was never a thing until even like college really that I I didn't know what a producer was until I Mm -hmm. was like 19 17 maybe but yeah it's like had you asked me when I was like 5 or 12 or 16 it was always music I want to be a musician and it was cute. I remember everyone thought it was cute when I was a little kid and they thought it was cute when I was 12 and when I was 16 I was like what about law school? What about you would be a Susie, you would make such a good lawyer. I'm gonna tell you a story. So um Sharon, I don't know if I told you this. So my daughter is five and just quote unquote graduated from preschool. And for her little outdoor graduation ceremony, they had printed out pictures of every kid holding a chalkboard saying what they want to be when they grow up. Aww. And it's like, some people said police officer, some people said veterinarian, some people said mommy, a daddy, all these things, doctor, lawyer. And God bless my daughter, who <laughs> I'm making listen to like Weezer in the Beach Boys and the Beatles. Like <laughs> She can name who all four Beatles are, right? And she knows that George is the best and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> Clearly. And she loves Weezer. But, and it's, it's cute. It's because her dad does. She's like mirroring me. But on her little chalkboard, it said Rockstar. Stop. And I, I, I swear oh to God, Susie, God. when I read the article about you, I, I told Sharon this. I was like, I want my daughter to grow up to be Susie. Because like, he how do I nurture that. this? I was like, I will convert my basement and my garage and let her do whatever she wants with it. Like, because is it like vicariously living my dream? I don't know. But... <laughs> It's because it, it's interesting because you're not a pop star. You are not fronting like a speed metal trio. You went into production <laughs> and like you're doing the work and maybe they're how to play. Maybe there will be things, but like you're doing the work and you're learning. And I just, I'm saying this like as an old man, I apologize. Like I really admire kind of like your drive to do it and like do the work despite all the other shit that your life kind of threw at you. And Dude, I don't know. that means so much. And that makes me so happy. Like, thank you. That's awesome. And that's what like also like, I, you know, I've been trying to like, I hid for a really long time. And only like recently, I feel like I've been coming out of, I don't want to call it a shell, but I don't know what to call it. Not hiding because it's like, I wish I had someone to tell me of like the other things that you could be or like what you could do. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's interesting and it's really cool and I want there to be more girls and I fully support the garage becoming a studio. My mom let me do the same thing and that would be sick. You should definitely do that. <laughs> I, I hope it's not a phase. I hope it's not just I'm into this because daddy's into this. Like, Yeah, I... to, be, to be fair, my mom forced me to play the guitar and to take lessons. So you had an Asian mom. Got it. Yes. Right? A tiger mom. You had a tiger mom. I hated the guitar so much. I would cry. What was the flip then? When did you start to love it? Or when I found music that I loved and then I was like, Oh, I can go, I can go learn this song. But like, yeah, third grade, I had this like scary teacher with really long nails who tried to like teach me finger picking and like wild thing. 
And I, I don't know. It was only until like fifth, fifth grade. Honestly, this like man knocked on our door and he was like, I'm here to give a guitar lesson, but he came to the wrong address. And my mom was like, no, 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 stay. <laughs> you can give my daughter a guitar lesson. Like we have the guitar in the closet. But yeah. And then I honestly, I either heard John Mayer or Blink-182 and I was like, whoa, this is sick. Yeah. There's this ad. I'm trying to remember what it was for, but it's just one of those ads that sticks with you. And this the song Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, right? Yeah. And the whole ad is like just cut scenes of little kids with their guitar trying to play it. And that's it. Oh my God. And I don't know what they're at, but like I saw, and this is, I saw this ad before I had kids. And it's just like one of those ads that just like fucking melts your heart because of whatever baggage you've got in your own <laughs> life. Um, so it's fun. Yeah, it's like you have to find the thing that pulls you into it first. Yeah, for sure. And then once that happened, like I wouldn't do anything else. Like, you were just I, obsessed with the guitar. I was after obsessed you with the guitar it. and I was obsessed with writing and I had like Logic or GarageBand on my computer and I was obsessed with recording and like putting mm. my songs on MySpace and getting my friends <laughs> to like it and like make it their profile song. So dorky. But yeah, that's all I wanted to do. That's, that's so, so interesting. I didn't even think about social media as being a way that because it you didn't know, exist I, when we were kids, Sharon. Yeah, because when <laughs> Remen and I were growing up, that didn't exist until we were older. But it's like, it's really cool because it's it's one of those things where it gave you an outlet and it gave you immediate feedback, I'm sure, right? Like you'd put something out there and you'd know pretty much within minutes if your friends were going to respond positively or oh, if it just was going to be a bust. Yeah, And it like led to me like, playing shows and it also led to me discovering more music and bands would never have known about without the internet that's so amazing it's very cool where do you go now to find new music just curious I go into Spotify and I yeah. go to my friends. I like write with a ton of people and I'm always like, what are you listening to? Like, what's your favorite song right now? Like, what's your favorite song this week? But yeah, and I, honestly, I think a lot of people do this. Maybe not. Maybe I'm in my own head. But the Lorem playlist on Spotify, I love it. I've actually like made two friends who I've just like hit up by listening to their song on Spotify that I work with like frequently now. But yeah, I think it's back to being word of mouth. Like that's where I found like, the songs that I've most loved recently is like someone being like, Oh, I wish I wrote this song. Like you should hear this. Yeah. Like, Do you have what? a point of view? And this is me being old man Roman. Like you said song, not album. Do you, is that kind of how you, <laughs> is your brain wired around that? Cause I actually have a crowdsource thing that I've done for the last few years where it's like, like a music book club where people from different parts of my life, like people I used to go to like jazz clubs with in new Orleans versus people I go to less than Jake shows with in undergrad. And we just like literally take turns recommending a whole album and just you got to rate it on a Google sheet, but it's album driven, not song driven. And I feel like the Spotify era has gotten us back into song. So where do you fall out there? Especially as a um, producer and a music geek. Totally. As a producer, I want to say album, but like growing up, my mom couldn't tell you probably all four members of the Beatles. She would be like, can you learn this song? And I'd be like, what's the song called? And who is it by? And she'd be like, I don't know. It goes like, it's like, Hey dude or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I like grew up very song based. No one was ever like, listen to this album, Susie. Like for my birthdays, I would get now that's what I call music seven. So like I, I, I grew up song based and I think Spotify is very song based. And when I 
ever I got a CD growing up, I would search for the singles. Like I would search for my favorite songs in the album. That being said, I think there's like a handful of albums that you listen to and it's just like, holy shit. Like from like Katy Perry, Radiohead, like Frank Ocean, like there are those, but I think it's like, it's kind of like a song's world in a way. But I'm all for the album. Like, I want to bring the album back. Like, I I want it to be, like, a full-on experience. I think, like, Billie Eilish is trying to do that right now. Like, she has those three different versions of, like, how to listen to the album on Spotify. So we'll see. What has it been being a female professional in a pretty male-dominated field? Like, has it been, again, you're a younger person coming into this world, but has it already changed and everyone's cool, everyone's accepting and high-fiving? Or have you just been kind of observing things that, yeah? I would say like the last five or six years of my life, it's been awesome. I think that I work with people who have been like great and open and accepting and like driven. It's just like it hasn't really been a thing and I'm very fortunate to work with those people and to find those people my first four years in LA and maybe it was because it was a different time too were just like up and down there was definitely like a hard line like you could feel it between the guys and the girls or the shit that I would have to go through and these moments where I wanted like with everything in me being like f you you don't mm-hmm. get to say that to people or do that and like walk out. But but you couldn't. I, I couldn't. I could. But that also to me be quitting. Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm like actually here and in this, like I can get through this like little hump. Like mm-hmm. I can get past this and someday my life won't involve this because these people don't stay. These people don't last like obviously by their actions and how they view the world and women and and music and things. So it's, I don't know, haven't experienced it in a long time. And I think even more so in the past two years, like the music industry has really been pushing women forward and giving them more opportunities, which I'm like super down for. Like, I think it's awesome. And I hope there's more of it. I um, I have to because it's or why do we do this podcast? But like, I have to ask a Weezer geek out question, <laughs> and then we can have a part two on like another podcast. But okay, so I read the spin article about you, and I sent our producer Nina a quick note. I was like, hey, this would be rad if we could get Susie. She seems really cool. A few weeks later, oh my god, we got Susie, and I'm like, what? And so I'd already owned Van Weezer, and I'm listening to it in the car, uh, along with many other albums that are not Weezer, like Beach Boys, but OK Human is back, back on play as well right now. But I was listening to Van Weezer, and track three, I'm sorry, it's track three about you, straight up. Like, Oh my god. Because uh, it what's, is, okay. What's track just, three? Okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I have, I pulled up the lyrics. It's called The End of the Game, and literally the, the oh, and again, the first few times I listened to the album, it's like, oh, this is a fun album, blah, blah, blah. But now this is after I know we're having Susie Shin on our podcast. <laughs> First one. Hey, Susie, where you been today? I'm looking for you everywhere. No sign of you when I wake up. I'm on an island with no sign. I feel like I've known you
stop that you and your headphones and air guitaring. I'm sorry. Ooh, this sounds like a love you, letter. It's, it's, no, it's not. Rivers is a cool married dude <laughs> with kids. I know it's not a love letter. It's a love friend letter. Is, come on. Is, is track three about you, Susie? Yes or no? That's so funny. I have never dug into the, the lyrics, but like, I don't know. That, that name for a long time where it says like, hey, Susie, it was hey, baby for a really long time. Okay. For months of the song. And then Rivers was like, I don't usually sing the word baby. I Weezer doesn't sing baby. <laughs> Very rarely do we sing baby, but we need to change it. And like, we went through like a list of names, like who could it be, what not. And then like, I remember we just, no one was settling on anything. But there's like, with, with that. And then, the day it was like the day before it was getting sent out to mix he emailed me a list of like eight names and it was like sasha sydney and like Susie was on there and i remember everyone being like that kind of sounds the best maybe out of them (laughs) um sasha and and you were like yes that's it it's all about Susie. And I was like, no, yeah, I was like, sure. Like, let's, let's see it. Cause like I had him record three of the options and then like, we all like went with that one, but it's funny. It's a funny story. <laughs> well, the, I mean, cause there's a bunch of Weezer songs from the olden days, like Suzanne and Jamie and stuff. For and sure. Jamie was like, I'm guessing a producer or a manager based on the, and these are like B-sides. Sorry. Um, sorry, not sorry. So I just read it. But then again, I like started to dig in the lyrics. I was like, I know that you would crank the song air guitaring with your headphones on. And I didn't know if I was going to ask this question, but then we started talking about like your passion. <laughs> and <it> just, <laughs> I was like, how is this not? So that's all right. so funny. That that makes sense, though. I totally like air, <laughs> like I air guitar, like straight up, like in the car when I'm driving, like full on. That's hilarious, though. So you've uh, become the song. Maybe that's what it maybe is. Maybe right? that's yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a good fucking song, and I know you helped produce it, and I know you helped produce this album, so thank you for that. Of course. And that was a satisfying answer. (laughs) (laughs) So, Susie, if we think about who you were as a little girl way back when in preschool with hair that was too long, or the little girl that liked- I heard she went to jail or something. (laughs) She went to jail, yeah. Or the weirdo who liked the weird music. How are you- the same or different from that little girl? And also, what would you tell her today based on what you know? These are great questions. I honestly think that I am the exact same. I'm more aware of my weirdness, but like I know I am weird and I'll like do things like crazy, like OCD or like just weird things. And my boyfriend will be like, what are you doing? And I go, I know it's weird. I just, I have to do this. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, this thing go. needs a spreadsheet, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think I'm ex- the exact same. And like, honestly, like to, to be, I don't want to say youthful or I don't know if the word is childlike, but have that like outlook on life, like preschool, kindergarten as a kid, like the world was just like, Endless. And that's what I think youth is still is youth is still believing that you can change the world. And I, I still feel that. So that's what I try to be. And I'm, I I don't know, I feel like super happy. There was a third part to that question. Oh, it's what I would say to myself as a kid. Honestly, it would just be like, hey, what's up? (laughs) How are you doing? I don't know. I would just want to like, more so I, I think a lot of the times when you like, 
think of like what would you say to yourself as a little kid you'd be like it's all gonna be okay like that's yeah. gonna be and like I don't, I don't know if I'd want to hear that like I think I would like think that I would be pretty cool and I would just like want to hang out and just have a normal conversation and like I don't know play uh, let me let me yeah. ask it a different way my daughter is five going on 15 and she doesn't know that the song off the black album is zombie bastard she thinks it's zombie wetzler the name of our dentist <laughs> i don't know when i'm going to explain that to her what would you tell a little asian girl in connecticut five going on 15 or a 15 year old who wants to play the power chords and read the um, article about Susie shin oh my god i would be like keep playing guitar beg your parents to get you a guitar if you don't have one and then beg them to let you like make the living room or the basement or the garage like a room and just like listen to so much music and like write some songs like your the world is beautiful and special and these tiny little things happen that create these songs right like life is just little tiny actions or things that people pass by and I don't know and I just like Make music and have fun and write songs. And if you really want to do it, it's going to be hard, but you can. It is completely possible to do it. And then I'd probably just be like, let's learn a song on the guitar. Like, can I teach you something? <laughs> yeah. That would be so cute. That would you be should, so Susan. cute. And someone did yeah. that to me when yeah. I was yeah. eight years old. They taught me Dust in the Wind by Kansas. And I was like, this is so cool. And I played it like every day for Did you see that oh, this past, I don't know, whenever, somewhere in the middle of the pandemic, Dave Grohl having like rock and roll trash talk with like this little girl drummer. Did you see this oh, on you? Oh my God. No, that sounds so cute. It like broke the internet. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh. Well, Susie, we've covered so much ground. And we've and really like been all over the place today, but I kind over. of love it. Yeah, we've covered so much. And now I think you're ready for speed round. Oh Are my you God, ready okay. to go into speed round? Yeah. That was the wrong answer already. No one's ever ready for speed round. Oh, Susie. okay, okay, okay. No, I'm absolutely not ready. <laughs> <laughs> he always says that. And then it always throws everybody off. So don't listen to him. You're, you're totally ready. I think. Okay. What is one thing about you that no one expects? Patience. The Guns N' Roses song? Yes, the Guns N' Roses song. It's my favorite song. <laughs> this is a two-parter. The first one is, what's a book or movie that has characters that you relate to? Whoa. Honestly, maybe Gone with the Wind. Uh, there's something about Scarlett O'Hara and her drive, and she never gives up, and she muscles through just everything, and just heartbreak, and death, and famine, and all that, and like comes out on top in a way I mean she loses rep but still that and like honestly like I try to envision my life as a rom-com so when I think about my life and how I want it to be every day and look back on I'm like forgetting Sarah Marshall 10 things I hate about you like legally blonde like that's yeah. like a feminist movie like to the core like when I applied for colleges I wrote my essays on pink scented paper <laughs> and I <laughs> did not get in <laughs> So the man. Yeah, right. They, they just didn't appreciate the art form of they it. Mm -mm. It's so funny. Nope. So I, I have to ask the same question about music. Is there an album or a band that you relate to? And you can't say Pinkerton, I guess. 
dude i relate it's so hard to pinkerton is there an album or a band i mean i do relate to weezer also just like by working with them like the lyrics just every time i listen to it still to this day they just like really sink in and like hit differently in like this surreal way saying you're more of a matt damon versus a leslie jones about weezer is what i'm hearing yeah yeah (laughs) so funny (laughs) my favorite line was when someone like yelled like weezer didn't start until scott Schreiner joined the band (laughs) no my favorite and all of my friends who give me shit about my weezer fandom because of that sketch they're like you are a grown-ass man i'm like it's okay to like like i remember just like he just seems like a nice hard-working guy so oh he is he's the best and it's like props like people being passionate about stuff i'm all for it but yeah other than that green day blink 182 like those guys like still resonate with me what is your favorite mom dish my mom is not a cook so this is a great (laughs) question way to throw your mom under the bus she got you a guitar and guitar (laughs) and mcdonald's what does my mom cook she can make really good at like breakfast was something that she made what's a mom breakfast yeah it was just like eggs um, pancakes like bacon the whole all american hash browns all american breakfast my mom was really good at okay those first three are like okay just good breakfast but like there's a commitment to doing hash browns that's some next level shit if you're willing to do hash browns yeah i don't know like how like involved into like the actual like here's a potato (laughs) and i'm gonna turn it into a hash brown versus like (laughs) here's the frozen bag of hash browns and i'm gonna cook them oh yes that's that's a little different i hear you on that But yeah, my stepdad did a lot of the cooking, which was what's like, your, I, what's, what's your favorite stepdad dish then? He would make crab, crab cakes or crabby. Ooh. He would call them crab Ooh, yeah. patties. I don't know what that is exactly, but that was really good. <laughs> and I swear to God, like we would have T-bone steak every like four nights a week growing up. So that was really good too. But then I hated it. And now I'm like, I'm a pescatarian. I have been for like 12 years, but that, that was good. What's your least favorite food? Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Why? What's wrong with meatloaf? The cafeteria in my school. (laughs) My mom doesn't cook, so we're not getting cold lunches to bring to school. The cafeteria was the most disgusting thing like I've ever eaten in my life. The meatloaf was just like it looked like a brain and it tasted like one. I don't know what a brain tastes like, but it it was bad. Yeah. I can imagine. And he grew up to be like a real conservative like music guy too so fuck him oh oh come on <laughs> oh my god oh you're so That's punny bad. that was good <laughs> who is someone out there that you would want to interview on a podcast oh god that's a great question meatloaf not meatloaf Katy perry Katy perry yeah i think I that'd think be awesome she has a great I would... story and she i think she's fucking awesome i would love to hear you talk to Katy perry i think that'd be such a great mix Let's, Let's make that happen. Let's yeah, do exactly. it. <laughs> so Susie, what does being a modern minority even mean? Wow. In one way, I'm like, that's just who I am and who I've been. So it, it feels weird to dissect it, but it's just like something that's like, I, I, I acknowledge and I understand. I don't even think to the full length of like that. I'm not like the rest, like, that you look at the numbers and the statistics and it's just like it's very small in Asian American women who do what I do and I don't know like 
acknowledging it and trying to have a better understanding of it and being or trying to be and being driven to be successful and like excel in the field where I am a minority. That's great. I, I love how you're just philosophy of like, just do the work and go so I've there. always been, isn't that weird? Yeah. That's it's truthful it, and it's working so well for you. Thanks. Susie, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the pod and just sharing your story and your perspective. And please keep making rad albums. Please, please, please. Okay. I will <laughs> my, do my, that. Da- my I daughter is listening to them. Oh, that's so, it makes me so happy. Like that makes my life. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. Now, here's a preview of our next episode. My friends who know me know that I really have a hard time waking up. So getting up a couple to three times a night to feed your kid, I'm amazed you can do it, but you can do it when it's your kid. It's an evolutionary advantage that babies are cute because, (laughs) right? Because if any other person would wake you up that often in the night, you'd be upset. But it's your adorable baby. So you're like, all right, I can't stay mad at you. Like I've never been great with emotions. I did not know that you could love someone this fully. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. Before you go, we want to share something really interesting. Friend of the pod, Jay Veraldi, is the founder of Animalia and has a fantastic podcast and newsletter. You can learn more at joinanimalia.com. If the planet and all the life on it had its own podcast, this would be it. Animalia covers a wide range of topics from deep dives into threatened species to regenerative agriculture to climate migration to how to spot greenwashing in fashion. You'll be blown away by their incredible guests and always leave more informed and curious than you were going in. So check out this five-minute preview from Jay Veraldi's Animalia podcast, and we hope you'll check it out at joinanimalia.com. Welcome to Animalia, where we cover all things conservation, climate justice, and sustainability. Welcome to the five-minute version of Going Nuclear, our episode covering recent advancements in nuclear technology and why we think it's an absolute critical pillar of getting off of fossil fuels. I'm your host, James. And this is the super short version where we summarize the key takeaways and excerpts from the full episode, which of course you should go listen to when you get a chance. It's roughly five minutes, but give or take a minute or two. In the full episode, we chatted with Jason Herbert, Director of Government Affairs for Energy Northwest, a major energy agency in the state of Washington, providing a lot of renewable energy to utility companies, including, of course, nuclear. Prior to Energy Northwest, Jason spent a decade on Capitol Hill, working in Congress with a focus on energy and environmental policy. So you'll hear parts of my interview with him in this shortened summary version. All right, nuclear energy. Let's do a little word association. What comes to mind when you think of nuclear energy? I'm guessing it might be words like Chernobyl or nuclear waste or nuclear weapons. Well, how about zero emission carbon-free energy? Nuclear is the strongest clean energy source we have. Generating nuclear energy produces zero carbon, just like solar and wind. 
However, unlike solar and wind, it's a constant, reliable energy source. And it's far less land-intensive as well. A wind farm the same size of a nuclear power plant produces one-tenth of the energy output. And again, zero emissions. If you look at renewables, the and we, as Energy Northwest, we have renewables in our portfolio. We like them. The downside to renewables is they're weather dependent. You don't necessarily know when the wind is going to blow and when it's going to blow hard enough to generate electricity, when it's going to stop. And then with the sun, you know, you can a little bit more predictable, but there's only so much electricity that you can derive from that. So electricity is needed around the clock. And you're not just trying to meet kind of the average needs of the grid. You have to be able to meet the peak needs. So when it's really hot, when it's really cold, you need to make sure that you have enough generation on the system to do that. So nuclear is the one that kind of, and that's really where natural gas and coal have a big advantage is they can operate anytime, but they're not carbon free. Nuclear fits both of those rules. It's carbon free, like renewables, but it can operate around the clock. Sure. Building the nuclear plants themselves produces emissions, but so does building solar panels. In addition, nuclear power does not need to be refueled that often, making it reliable in times of distress. And the other real big benefit is on like a natural gas plant where you're kind of reliant on the supply chain to bring you new fuel. And if you don't have it, like we saw a couple of years ago where some pipelines went offline and froze and you couldn't operate natural gas plants during a major cold spell in the Northwest. Nuclear, we have enough fuel on site to operate for years at a time. So anything that happens outside of the gates, that plant can keep operating regardless of any externalities. Nuclear is the beautiful orphan child of the energy world. Renewable energy and climate folks like myself think of nuclear as a safety and waste hazard. Those who still stand behind fossil fuels have issues over the upfront costs and long timelines of building nuclear plants. This despite the fact that once up and running, nuclear produces cheaper energy than coal or gas. So what do we make of nuclear and how should we think about it as we march towards a clean energy future? Well, there's a ton of innovation happening right now that's making nuclear energy safer, more efficient, and less hazardous. Small module reactors, which we'll hear about as SMRs, are making nuclear plants smaller, less expensive, and faster to get going, also much safer. They are self-cooling and modular, meaning if one part has an issue, all other parts shut down, and they're able to self-contain any larger incident. Small module reactors take their safety basis to a whole other level through passive safety features. And also the the modular kind of applies to two things, both the fact that you don't just have one major reactor like you would in an existing plant that has a huge dome over it and it's just producing, you know, 1000 megawatts of power, a huge amount of power at all time. But the modular reactors, you know, so take new scale, for instance, that has 12 different modules capable of producing 70, 80 megawatts each. And those can each be taken offline at different times and refueled. So the plant never has to go offline. And all of the safety systems, if anything were to happen, it can safely shut down by taking the steam that's created and turning it back into water and cool the reactor over time so that no human action is needed. Modern reactors are also using fuel pellets, which help aid in both the safety and storage of nuclear fuel. For these, the fuel is its own containment structure. So no, no fission products, no radioactivity can escape from that fuel ball. And for the X-Energy reactor, there are 220,000 of those balls essentially moving in through like a gumball machine. And once they've expended enough of their energy, enough of their fuel, they're taken out and a new ball is put in and it continues and continues on. And then when you're storing that fuel later on, you can store it much much more easily because you're not having to worry about there being any type of release of radioactivity as well. 
Nuclear waste is still an issue. I don't want to pretend this has been fully solved. The highly radioactive waste we think of as a sort of glowing sludge that used to seep into our water systems dating back to the dawn of nuclear power some 70 years ago has long since been modernized using vitrification, where it's converted essentially into glass and encased with steel. Use nuclear fuel, less radioactive than the direct waste, but still very much hazardous, is sitting in fuel cells nearby the plants. It's believed that both the vitrified glass and used fuel can be safely stored deep underground for up to a thousand years, possibly. The prevailing thought is that so long as we can safely store and retrieve them, between now and a thousand years from now, we'll come up with new technology to better dispose of it. Now, that's not a perfect plan by any means, but there are also other solutions out there, such as reusing nuclear fuel. Reusing fuel is on the rise, and in France, where 75% of the energy comes from nuclear, they're now reusing 80% of that nuclear fuel, something we could do here in the U.S. if we invest in the tools to do so, which brings us to the United States. We produce more nuclear energy than any other country in the world. I bet you didn't know that. 20% of our total energy comes from nuclear. And this saves so much carbon compared to fossil fuels that if you literally swapped out the nuclear supply of energy we have with a fossil fuel alternative, it would be the same thing as adding 100 million cars on the road every year, the exact number of cars we already have. There's this indispensable nuclear industry in the U.S. that's providing 20% of all of our electricity year over year. That's carbon-free and 56% of all of our carbon-free electricity year over year. But it also creates lots of jobs and is really important to our national security and you know continued leadership on a global stage. Yet, we are way behind in investing in modern nuclear technology. Well, that's now finally changing. There are dozens of startups now focusing on advanced nuclear technology. And Biden's infrastructure bill includes nuclear spending, something both sides of the political aisle agree on. And who knows? Nuclear energy may not only be our key for getting off fossil fuels, it may end up as a bipartisan issue that can also bring politicians together at a time that is increasingly hard to do so. Well, hope you learned something. And please go check out the full episode and the full interview with Jason for a deep dive into all things nuclear. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 